The following message by Pastor Scott is brought to you by Together in Christ. Well, it is good to see all of you here today with us. I know that uh, if you look around, you'll see that there's several that are not here, and that could be for various reasons. One reason is because uh, there has been a lot of cases of COVID uh, in our church, and so I, I know that those that have been exposed have been encouraged to stay home. Some are currently sick with it, and so they are at home. Uh, but as you might know, others are not here because they had no idea about daylight savings time today. And you might not have known about daylight savings time until I just mentioned it because your phone automatically switched over for you. And uh, it's great to have technology that does that for us. And so if we see some people trickle in, we'll just awkwardly look at them and scold them a little bit. But, uh, but no, it's okay. We know that our brothers and our sisters can't be with us for, for a number of reasons, but I'm glad that you joined us today. And as I mentioned in my prayer earlier, we do have the honor and the privilege of celebrating the Lord's Supper with one another. And so you'll see there are these little cups that are throughout the pews. Make sure you have access to one of these. If you're in a more full pew, you might need to grab some from another area. But just to give you a little bit of direction on how we use these before we get to that time, there's a clear film on the very top that is a little difficult to get, but it kind of pulls away before the foil underneath. And so even if you need to kind of fiddle with that and get it ready to go for when we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, that'll give you some direction there. Uh, we'll pull the clear film back first, and then we'll do the foil. But as we have the, the blessing of being able to celebrate the Lord's Supper with one another today... I thought it would be appropriate for us to focus wholly on the Lord's Supper in our service by going to Scripture and, and learning about the Lord's Supper and, and understanding the background and the story behind the Lord's Supper, but more so in, in terms of the context of the Lord's Supper. You know, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper with His disciples while they were celebrating something called Passover. And it's in that context that he gives us the Lord's Supper. And so, and there's great significance in the Passover that we also see in the Lord's Supper that I thought would, you would be blessed to see and to understand this morning. And so I would actually like to invite you to turn in your Bible to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. You might be a little surprised that we're in Exodus to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. But like I said, I think that we'll see great meaning for what the Lord's Supper is by seeing what the Passover is. So Exodus chapter 12. In Exodus 12, where you are at in, in this story of God and His people in the Old Testament is you're getting to a, a pretty high point of conflict that has been building between God's people and their enemies, Egypt. There's a high point of conflict because through a series of events that you can go back and read the latter part of Genesis to understand what exactly was going on and how they ended up here in Egypt, but God's people are enslaved to the Egyptians, and there is a, an evil pharaoh that is king over the Egyptians that has enslaved Israel, put them under hard labor. He's even uh, done atrocities against their families by commanding that their children be killed when they are born. And so God's people, Israel, is under great oppression, and they have cried out to him for salvation. And in response, God has sent them a deliverer. God has sent them Moses. And maybe you've seen a movie or two about Moses and how he comes in the power of God working miracles, and he, he has his staff, and he's performed miracles. You know, he throws it down, turns into a snake, and Pharaoh's magicians do the same thing. 
This is one of my kids' favorite movies, so I've seen it like 10 times a week. And so it's kind of burned in my memory, but you'll remember the things that they do. There's, there's plagues that come because Pharaoh is unwilling to listen. And maybe you remember some of these plagues, right? There's, there's gnats, there's flies, frogs. All of the water in Egypt is turned to blood. Darkness over the land happens. Hail from heaven rains down, destroys that. All the livestock die. There's so many plagues that happen in judgment against the Egyptians, all designed to get them to repent, all designed to get Pharaoh to repent, yet he does not. And it gets to the point where God sends Moses to Pharaoh and threatens one last plague that will come upon them in judgment with a promise that after this plague, God's people will be delivered. And it's not like the other plagues. Surely people in Egypt died because of the other plagues that came about. There was great sickness throughout the land. The cattle died. Water turned to blood. People couldn't find water to drink. So surely people were dying in Egypt this whole time. But this last plague to come was death. Just pure and simple, no explanation other than death. Death of the firstborn in Egypt, firstborn of every family, even firstborn of the livestock were to die. No, no qualification given, but simple death. And that is where we find ourselves. This plague has been threatened. And then we get to Exodus chapter 12, where God gives his people instruction for what they are to do in preparation for the judgment that is coming, but also for the deliverance that is coming. And he gives them these instructions in Exodus chapter 12. So that's, that kind of sets the story for you. That lets you understand where we're at and, and when God is saying these things. And so in Exodus chapter 12, start reading with me in verse one. It says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall, shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if a household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. The beginnings of the instructions of this Passover that God gives to his people begins with instructions for a sacrifice. There is a sacrifice that is to be made here. This, this is before any of the ritual sacrifices that God had communicated to his people when they were at Mount Sinai in the law. This was before any of that. But we see clear language that tips us off that this is a sacrifice. This is something that has ritual and significance in the way in which it was to be done. You can see in verse five, it wasn't to be any old lamb, but it was to be a lamb, a year old without blemish. This is something that they were going to be eating together. 
And it doesn't matter if something's wrong with the lamb's eye or if it has a dark spot on its fur. It doesn't matter for eating it. The significance is elsewhere. The significance is wrapped up in the fact that this must be an untainted, unblemished lamb that is to be sacrificed. And then in verse six, you see that all Israel was to get this lamb and to keep it for a number of days. And then all Israel was to kill it at the same time. At twilight, it says, that's a period of a couple of hours that they would have all taken their lambs, killed them at the same time. And then you see in verse seven, the, right, the imagery that you're probably most familiar with in this story is that they were to take some of the blood of this lamb and they were to spread it across the doors of their houses. And we'll see the significance of that in a little bit. But everything here points to the fact this isn't just an animal that you would go get to prepare for a feast. No, this was a sacrifice. It starts with a sacrifice for what is coming. Now let's keep reading in verse 8. It says, They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not, any, do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And so it's not just a sacrifice that they are making of this lamb. This lamb is also a meal that's going to be eaten by these people that are using it as a sacrifice. And it's a meal to be prepared and eaten in a specific way where everything about it points to the need for speed and readiness. Everything is pointing to eating it with speed and readiness. Look at the, the various elements that you see here. In verse eight, it says that this is a lamb that is to be cooked but cooked in a certain way. It's to be roasted whole over a fire. In other words, don't take time to go and get water and your big pot and boil the, and wait for that water to boil. And then don't take time to take that lamb and to actually butcher it up into smaller sections, which would have been what they normally would have done. But he said, no, 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 you don't have time for that. Do it quickly. And the fastest way to cook this lamb is to just kill it, skin it, and put it over a fire. It was to be eaten quickly. But then also in verse eight, you see that the other part of this meal wasn't just the lamb, but it was to be eaten with unleavened bread. We don't really eat much unleavened bread. And to be honest, before this time in Israel's history, they didn't either. They ate bread pretty much the same way that you and I do. They would let it rise and get fluffy and then they would cook it. And so it's light and fluffy and moist and good. It fills you up better. But they were told to eat this with unleavened bread specifically for what it would later represent, the fact that you're not going to have time to wait around for this bread to leaven, right? Even for us, it takes time. If you ever make bread for at certain times of the year or just for fun, which my wife does sometimes and I greatly appreciate it, but if you ever make bread at home, you have to wait for that bread to rise. They would even have to wait longer for the bread to rise because they would have to let it leaven naturally a lot of times, which would take hours, sometimes days for their bread to rise. But here, they have no time, 
No time to let the bread rise. Instead, they just make the dough and they put it over the fire and cook it. And so it is unleavened bread. But it's not just what they're eating and how they're cooking what they're eating. It is the way in which they are eating it as well. In verse 11, you see instructions that they are to be dressed and ready for departure when they go. They are to have their their jackets on, their shoes on, their staff in their hand as if they're about to leave, right? When somebody comes over to your house and they don't take the jacket off, you start feeling like they don't want to stay very long, right? And you say, take your, take your jacket off, stay a while, is what you'll say, but not them. They have it on, their shoes are on, their staff is in their hand, they're ready to leave. He, God even says that they are to specifically eat it in haste. This is the opposite of what we normally think somebody's gonna do when they're, when they're coming together for a celebratory meal or a feast, right? You think of Thanksgiving. You don't eat Thanksgiving in haste. That's a good way to make yourself sick, right? But you eat Thanksgiving slowly, savoring each bite, making sure you get something from every person's dish to make sure you don't offend somebody. But you eat it slowly. You enjoy it. You sit down in fellowship and and with your family and your friends, enjoying their company, talking about the year. Maybe you have traditions where you go around the table, talk about how thankful you are for this or for that, but you, you do it slowly. It's an all-day affair. This was not an all-day affair. This is different than Thanksgiving. This is more like your kid is late to practice and you haven't fed them dinner yet, so you go through the, drive, the drive-through, McDonald's or Wendy's, it doesn't matter, whoever has the shortest line, you get their food and you shove it in their mouths because as soon as you pull up into the parking lot, the door is open and they are out because you're late. It's that kind of haste with which they're eating this meal and all of this has great significance to it. Everything about the preparation and the consumption of this meal highlights that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. It highlights the fact that when you're done eating this meal and tonight I am coming to have judgment on Pharaoh and on Egypt, you need to be ready to go. And that's the purpose and the point behind all of the symbolism and the the making of this meal and eating it in haste and packed and ready to go. It is simply pointing to the fact that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. You're not going to have time to have a leisurely morning to pack up all your things and to get ready to go. No, this is going to come quickly. This is an element that we see in the Passover where we have to, it's present, it's clearly here, but you have to step back for a second to make sure that you recognize what is this that's here. Why, why do this? Why sacrifice the lamb? Why put the blood? Why prepare the meal in haste as if you actually are going to leave? And what we see here that's present in the Passover is that this is a meal that was being prepared and consumed as an act of faith on the part of Israel. All of this was done in faith. You see, understand the commands in which God gives to Israel in this instance. He's not saying, look, if you guys do these things, if you... If you take a lamb, if you sacrifice it, and if you put the blood up, if you do that, and if you take the lamb and you prepare it in a certain way, and if you eat unleavened bread in a certain way, and if you, for some weird reason, put clothes on and your shoes and your staff, and you eat your meal, and you eat it as fast as you can, and if you race each other, and whoever gets done first is going to get delivered first, right? He doesn't say, do those things, and I will save you. He says, do these things because I am saving you. 
There's a huge difference between those two statements. He didn't say do these things because I am going to save you if you do them. In other words, you're going to earn this salvation. Instead, you're going to do these things as an act of faith that I'm going to save you because I said I'm going to save you. That's a huge difference. It's faith that the sacrifice of the lamb whose blood they were going to spread across the doorframe and whose body they were going to be eating, it's the faith that this sacrifice actually would avert the judgment of God that was coming. Faith that deliverance from Egypt would be, in fact, immediate. Earlier in chapter 11, verses 4 through 8, I'm not going to read them, but this is where Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, you're not going to let us go, but there is a last plague that is coming. And when it comes and when judgment is poured out on Egypt, not only are we going to be free and not only are you going to let us go, but it, you're actually going to force us to leave. You and all of Egypt is going to force us to leave quickly and in haste because you will want to be rid of us. It's faith that they believe that's actually going to happen. Right? So, eating food with your clothes on, your shoes on, your staff in your hand, packed and ready to go, that's not the posture of somebody that thinks to themselves, we're just going to hang back. And I'm just going to see if this actually happens. And it, I mean, I'll have it all packed and ready in the corner. And if it happens, I'll be ready to go. Right? I'll have my list in my head of things that I want to bring with me to the promised land. That's not the posture that you're talking about here. The posture of these people that are doing this are people that truly do believe that as soon as they are done eating this meal, they are gone. It's a meal eaten in faith. They weren't done. These things weren't done to earn God's favor. They already had God's favor. God had already sent a deliverer to save them from Egypt. He was already working miracles. He had already told them, you're going to be free tonight. It's going to happen tonight. You don't have to earn it, but be ready for it. And these actions showed that they truly did believe God. This is the concept that you hear of in the New Testament, in the book of James, where he says that faith without works is dead. It's not that your works save you, but they demonstrate your works, the things that you do in your life demonstrate that you do have faith, that in fact, what God said he's going to do, he is going to do. Your works show that you have faith. And so he tells the Israelites, take a lamb, kill it, and put its blood over your doorpost. And they say, okay, God, I believe you. And he tells them, okay, put on all your clothes, pack your belongings, and eat this meal fast and get ready to go because this is happening as soon as the judgment comes on the Egyptians. Okay, God, I believe you. And they all start eating. And then we see the plague come in Exodus chapter 12. Skip ahead to verse 29. We'll see what happens. It says, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt for there was not a house where someone was not dead. The plague comes and death comes to all of the firstborn of Egypt. But I want you to notice a specific point that is made in these verses. Ask the question, 
Who was it that was affected by this plague? Who was it that received the judgment of God on their family? It says in verse 11, or I'm sorry, verse 29, it affected the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon. What does that tell us? It is not simply a judgment on Pharaoh who has a high-ranking position and is visible to everybody. It is judgment that comes on the nobody that is in prison, in the dungeon. Even their firstborn is affected by this. What does this show us? shows us that God's judgment does not discriminate based on status or position. But in fact, God's judgment comes on all who are guilty. It doesn't matter how much money you make, how active you are in charity, how, how good you've been to raise kids or how, how nice you've been to people. God's judgment comes on all who are deserving of that judgment, despite your status, despite your position, In fact, what we see here in this story is that the only factor, the only factor that God uses to discriminate whether or not you are to be judged or you are to be saved is this, are you covered by the blood of the lamb? That is the only factor that is considered. This plague comes among Israel too, but they are all protected by the blood of the lamb that is put over their doorposts. We'll see that. We see that in chapter 12, verse 12 and 13. He says, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This is where the Passover gets its name. It's called the Passover because when God comes in judgment and he sees the blood over their doorposts, he will pass over their house and judgment will not befall them. Instead, they will be saved. And so God's judgment comes without discrimination except to those who have been covered by the blood. And then we see not only has God been faithful to execute judgment on those who are fully deserving of it, but he is also faithful to deliver his people with expediency that he promised. In verse 31 of chapter 12, let's keep reading. He says, then he summoned Moses, this is Pharaoh. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. Right? This isn't just Pharaoh at this point. This is all of the Egyptians that are saying, get out, get out of here before we all die. We believe you. We know this is real now. Get out of here. And if you were to keep reading on this and and this event that we call the Exodus, when all of Israel exits and leaves Egypt 
towards the promised land. It says that not only do they, are they sent out by the Egyptians, but they say, here, take all of our gold too. Get out of here. Anything that you want, we will give it to you. We just want you to be gone. And so just like that, God's people are free. They're delivered in the exact way that God said they would be delivered. Now, if you keep reading, you know that there's a little bit more to the story. In Exodus chapter 14, we see the Red Sea, God's people being pursued by Pharaoh, whose heart is still hard, and he pursues them. And so Moses parts the Red Sea. People of Israel walk through on the dry ground as Moses and, or I'm sorry, as Pharaoh and his men are pursuing him, the sea closes back up on them, drowns them all. And then we see in chapter 14, verses 30 and 31, kind of some concluding thoughts. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw that the Egyptians, Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. And just like that, God's people were free. They celebrated the Passover then because they believed God and what he said he was going to do. And Moses actually gave them commands that this was not just to be celebrated this once, but it was actually to be an annual occasion when they remembered God's deliverance from his judgment and from their enemies into freedom. And so they celebrated the Passover every single year at the same time of the year throughout the rest of their generations. They celebrated it. It was designed to be a tool of remembrance of the salvation that God had brought. It was also designed to be a tool of teaching to children. It says even, even in these chapters, you can go back and read them today, but it even says that you know, when your sons ask you, why are you doing this, mom and dad? Moms and dads are able to explain to their children, we do this because God has saved us from our enemies. He has delivered us from slavery, and we do this in remembrance to commemorate what God has done for us. And so then, here we are, we find ourselves in the upper room with Jesus and his disciples, and they're eating a meal together. But it's not just any meal. It's the Passover meal. They're celebrating Passover together. You can turn to Matthew chapter 26. Here they are celebrating Passover, and you can be rest assured that as they are eating the lamb, as they are eating the unleavened bread together, sitting down at the table, talking with one another, having fellowship with one another, it would be normal for them to be talking about that day when they were delivered out of the land of Egypt, and they would have been discussing the great hand of God that saved them, that, that judged their enemies and how God had delivered them from that judgment and how God had delivered them from their enemies and had delivered them into the promised land, how God had done what he said he was going to do, that he did save them. These are the thoughts that would have been on their mind as they're celebrating the Passover together with Jesus in the upper room. 
And I spent so much time in Exodus chapter 12 and, and us together this morning talking about Exodus 12 and the Passover because that would have been their thoughts as they are celebrating this. And it is in the context of thinking about God's deliverance from his judgment, thinking about God's deliverance into the promised land from their captors that Jesus institutes a new meal to be shared among God's people on a regular basis. But it wasn't just a new meal. It was a greater meal. It was a greater meal because it was a greater sacrifice that had been made. It was no longer this lamb that was to be sacrificed. It was the lamb of God that was going to be sacrificed, Jesus himself. And this greater meal that commemorates a greater sacrifice produces a greater deliverance because they had a real problem with Egypt and they were enslaved and it caused great hardship and great pain. But all humans that have ever lived have a much greater problem than any earthly form of enslavement that might happen here on this earth because we are all born into an enslavement to sin destined for the judgment of God that we desperately need a savior to deliver us from. And so Jesus institutes a new meal a greater meal that points to a greater sacrifice that brings a greater deliverance, our deliverance from sin. And so in Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29, Jesus delivers to them a new meal. It says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and we had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood in the, of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink it again. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. There's two parts of this meal. The bread, the cup filled with wine or juice that represents the blood of Christ. And he gives them the bread and says, this is my body. Take it and eat. No longer is the body to be consumed, the body of a lamb that was roasted over a fire. But instead, it is the body of Christ to be consumed. And he says, take this, the cup. It represents my blood of the new covenant which has been poured out for you. Drink it, all of you. These represent what was about to happen. Jesus, the Lamb of God, was about to be sacrificed to accomplish the salvation of God's people. And this was a meal given to commemorate that, to help us remember that as a church, as the, the saved people of God to be saved not from earthly enslavement and not from earthly troubles, but from a far greater and a far bigger problem, our sin that puts us square in the crosshairs of the judgment of God. We rightly deserve it. Colossians chapter two puts this in a very helpful way for us. Chapter two, verse 13 of Colossians says this, 
And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. We stand before God in judgment. But these verses say that he has forgiven us of all of our trespasses. We stand before God as debtors, yet it says that he has canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. How on earth did he do that? How does a holy and a just and a righteous God simply wipe the slate clean? It says this he put aside, nailing it to the cross. What was it that was nailed to the cross on that day? It was the Lamb of God. It was God's Son. It was Jesus that was nailed to that cross. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. That is the sacrifice that he was making for us. We see even in other places in the New Testament, this would have been an amazing thing to look at in in deeper context, but in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, Paul even describes Jesus in this way. He calls Christ, get this, our Passover lamb. Jesus is our greater Passover that we celebrate together, Not, not to commemorate our deliverance from earthly troubles, but to commemorate and to remember our deliverance through the sacrifice of Christ from sin and death. And so the Passover is, as I told you, it was a meal that was to be eaten in faith that God had done what he said he was going to do. And in the same way this morning, as I'm gonna invite all of you to celebrate the Lord's Supper with me, this is a meal also to be eaten in faith. And trust, not that by eating this, something magical is going to happen to you, but trust that what this represents, what this little wafer represents, and what this juice represents is the sacrifice of Christ, that if you believe on Christ and believe that on that day, your sins were nailed to that cross, and the judgment you deserve was poured out on Christ, and that when he rose from the dead, you can have new life, and you can, in fact, be delivered from your sin. If you, in faith, believe that as you eat this, That's the meal that we are invited to share in today. A meal to be eaten in faith, trusting in our Lord, trusting in our Savior. And so I would like to invite you to exercise that faith today. I would like to invite you to share in this meal with me today as we commemorate and as we show and as we exercise our faith with one another. And we don't just eat this alone, we eat it together as a body of Christ. By eating this meal, we signify our fellowship with one another as a church, and our whole fellowship with Christ, all of us together with Christ in union with Him. But that's also why I would also like to say that if, if you haven't actually put your faith in Christ, if you're not a Christian, if you don't trust Him for salvation, this meal is not for you today. It is for those of us who have put our faith in Christ. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Scott from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.